Welcome to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we inspire collaborative thinking, improved outcomes, and business success with today's most successful and inspiring healthcare leaders and influencers. And now your host, Saul Marquez. Welcome back to the podcast. Saul Marquez here. Today, I have the privilege of hosting Matt Seafeld. He's the Executive Vice President at Medevolve. He has over 17 years of management consulting experience in the healthcare industry. He's got extensive expertise in the assessment, design, and implementation of process improvement programs and technology development across the entire revenue cycle. That's his sweet spot. Matt began his career with StockAmp and Associates Incorporated and worked for both PricewaterhouseCoopers and Deloitte Consulting in their healthcare and life sciences practice lines. In 2007, he developed a business intelligence solution and founded Interpoint Partners, where he served as chairman and chief executive officer. In 2011, he sold his business to Streamline Health Solutions, where he then served as chief strategist of Revenue Cycle, followed by Senior Vice President of Solutions and Strategy until 2014. Recently, Matt ran global sales for Nant Health and provided consulting services for health technology and service businesses nationwide prior to joining Medivolve full-time. He completed his undergrad at the University of California in San Diego, where he now resides and works. So with that uh, introduction, I wanted to bring Matt onto the podcast and have him fill in any of the gaps of the intro that I may have missed. Matt? Welcome. Hey, Saul. Good to good to be here for sure. I think you did a pretty good job. It, you allowed me to reminisce on my my career. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think you nailed it. You know, my I started in Revenue Cycle right out of college with a boutique firm, Stock Camp and Associates. Was really a, a, we became the market leader in Revenue Cycle, and you know, I got really interested in data analytics and workflow automation around 2005 and 2006 which led me to start Interpoint. And I really haven't looked back. You know, I think that my focus has now been on, on how we leverage technology to deliver better services for the healthcare industry, to really focus on financial outcomes, really focus on improving efficiencies through technology for physician groups and hospital health systems across the U.S. I think it's a, it's a, a fantastic focus, Matt. And a good friend of mine, he always said, and he was an executive at several provider institutions, he said to me, Saul, without margin, there is no mission. So what we're going to focus on today is the margin that allows us to drive our mission in healthcare. We're going to be focused on financial outcomes and, and the work that Matt and his team does at Medivolve. And so I'd love to hear from you, Matt, what you feel a hot topic is within this this uh, economic outcomes sector that everybody needs to be focused on. Yeah, I think I think what what we and first of all I love the, the margin comment you made because that is true, right? You know, we talk about delivering a service to the U.S. healthcare market, which by the way we are all participants in. You know, if you've been to a doctor visit in the last six to twelve months, you're experiencing healthcare firsthand. Uh, the challenge is if there's no margin out there, there's no more investment in R and D. There's no more investment in and, and, and products and services to improve our overall health. Um, and where does that margin come from? That comes from working with the insurance companies to get paid for the services you deliver. Now, in 2019, it's coming a lot from collecting from the consumers on the debt that they owe you, which we'll talk, I'm sure, a little bit more about throughout the podcast. But to me, that, that financial outcome is no longer, you know, in the old days, you could throw people at problems, and that was okay because the margins were good. We had a lot of fee-for-service contracts. Reimbursements were really solid. We were covering our costs, no problem. That world is gone. 
I mean, it is gone and it's getting worse. And frankly, the ambiguity of the 2020 election and what's going to happen with Obamacare, potentially any of these other uh, value-based uh, service arrangements is, is scary. It's scary to providers. It's scary to vendors like us. So what we're doing here at Metavolve, which is really where I've spent so much of my career, is how do I reduce the cost to collect the insurance receivable and the patient receivable, not by throwing people at it, but by innovation and workflow automation through analytics and transparency, You know, understanding the narrative of your revenue cycle in minutes, sometimes seconds, and not spending weeks of calling information to find out where I'm leaking revenue, right? And, and that's what we're doing here. We're doing that for all of our practice management clients. We're doing that to the outside market. And when it's applicable to build services around our technology, we do that. You know, a large part of our business is revenue cycle management. And a lot of the technologies that we develop, whether it's on the analytics front or workflow automation, is because we have to do more with less people and we have to get better results because our margins are thin, you know, and they're getting thinner and thinner and thinner. Well, Matt, I think you're striking a chord with a lot of people listening right now. The theme of doing more with less is not unique to any stakeholder in healthcare. We're talking, you know, providers, industry, pharma, doing more with less is a theme. And I love what you said. You can't throw people at problems anymore. We've got to get smarter. And automation is the pathway to do that. You guys are hyper-focused on it. And you guys have a huge data set. You're applying AI to it. You're helping people save money. Give us an example of how you're doing that to improve outcomes for your customers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we'll, I'll use uh, Metavolve actually as really the primary example. Is that, as I said earlier, a year ago, we were in pretty dire straits with, with our margin depletion, and we knew we had to get back to profitability, you know, a material profitability, because we rely on that cash flow to fund a lot of the R&D that we do in the technology side of our business. And so what we did, you know, obviously we couldn't throw people at, at our problem. That was actually more expensive. And so we started to build out a lot of this AI-driven workflow automation. And we started to leverage analytics in ways we'd never done before. And because of, of our effectiveness with doing that, over the first, say, 90 days after implementing a lot of this stuff, we had 30 to 35% cost reduction in our RCM department. And we were, you know, the board of directors was like, wow, that's amazing. How did you do it? Well, what we did it by looking at process and most importantly, aligning new technology with process and then the people around it, which is something that I learned early, early on in my career with, with Dale Stockham is, is that philosophy. The other thing we did was, and he taught this to me as well, is measure to improve. If you can't measure it, you can't manage it. You can't get results off of it. And so everything we do at Metavolve is measurable. It's, it's actionable, it's measurable, it's time uh, sensitive. We, we understand there's a benchmark we're working for. So, so we've, we've done this internally with our company. And so towards the end of uh, the fourth quarter last year, uh, I was talking with our CEO and our board of directors and I said, why don't we give these tools, technologies and approaches to our client base? So many of our clients will, will, don't want to give up revenue cycle, which is fine. But why don't we leverage what we've learned with them? And that is really just taken off in 2019. I mean, we are doing a lot more business, both on the inside and the outside market by selling this technology, AI-driven workflow, selling analytics, selling analytics now as a service, right, where we actually support our clients with revenue cycle experts that can help tell them the narrative on a regular basis and help reassure them that they're doing the right things. And if they're not doing the right things, we can give them advice into what they should be looking to do to, again, improve margin, maintain margin, whatever they do, not feel like they have to sell to a hospital or close their doors, which is yeah. just not good for the community. 
we just recently had a, a nice uh, the, one of our, our large neurosurgery clients up in the Northeast, Neurological Associates of New Jersey, uh, was just interviewed recently by uh, RevenueCycleIntelligence.com. And uh, that uh, article came out a couple of days ago. And it was fantastic to see the results from one of our clients already with using analytics and AI-driven workflow and what that's done to his business. It's, it's really creating uh, more transparency than they've ever had into the revenue cycle. It's learning to be smarter with how they realign their people, looking at ways to change process, and then the out financial outcomes have been significant. And this is just the tip of the spear. You know, we're starting to see these results with everybody that has, has been going live with our solutions this year, which has been very rewarding for us because this is our passion. You know, somebody asked me, what do you spend your R&D dollars on now? I said, we are spending our R&D dollars on analytics and workflow automation. And our goal, whether it's an aspiration that's attainable or not, is to impact every area of the revenue cycle. And, and with those, those two concepts, because we know we have to to help protect our clients and our future clients on their margin, just like you said at the beginning of the show. Without margin, they have nothing. And we need yep. to make sure that they're protected for that. Matt, I really appreciate your no BS approach to getting things done and, and uh, truly, I mean, hitting it where it needs to be hit to make things happen. Tell us about a setback. The shift to 30 to 35% cost reduction didn't happen without any mistakes. What, what would you say your one <laughs> <laughs> biggest aha moment was? Like, you know, tell us about that and what you learned. I'll actually, it's funny, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call us out on our first approach at the analytics market. Okay. So in, in 2016, we had these ideas that, that we knew we needed to get more business intelligence into our practice management system. Uh, we, we needed to get it into the cloud. You know, we needed to do more data visualization because, you know, the, these tools have been around forever. In fact, the company I started back in 2007, that's what we were. We were competing with a lot of the big box data visualization companies like the Cognos and the Hyperion. And then we got more specialized going against folks like Medi Analytics and, and VisiQuite and some of these other, other companies that are out there that have really carved a niche out. But what we've done is, is that we, we made an assumption, which was a bit flawed. It was a bit aspirational that our market, which is more of the smaller ambulatory, independent ambulatory uh, practices, had the time and in some cases the know-how to really use data visualization to identify root cause problems. So we went to market with it. We, you know, of course, if you're a 20-year veteran revenue cycle guy like me, I mean, it was great. I was a kid in the candy store. I'm like, I know exactly what's going on with these places. Unfortunately, yeah. It's not necessarily when you're when you're an office administrator and you're putting out fires left and right, and you're trying to understand go-to-market strategy and all these other things outside of revenue cycle. You don't have the time to really dig deep into where your opportunities are, and so it was a bit of a, a dud. You know, we we did sell some. We used it internally, of course, at Metaball, but the market wasn't really accepting it. So that was painful lesson because we invested a lot of money, and the yeah. board's asking, "Where did all this money go? Where's yeah. my return on this?" But the, the the nice part about it was it, it got us to be smarter. So when we started approach 2018, and especially when our our margins were drying up in revenue cycle, we said, "Is there is there a simpler, more structured way to analytics that would benefit not only us but also our clients?" And that's where we created the scorecard. You know, and the scorecard is, I know it's an overused term, but the scorecard to us is a story. It's, it's a story that gets produced on a regular basis. And it's got a lot of key performance indicators structured in a way that tells a narrative. And we always joke internally, it's over a cup of coffee. I can look at a revenue cycle scorecard for any of our clients. And in less than five minutes, I know exactly how their revenue cycle is doing. In fact, if it's not on par, I know the areas that we need to go look at with our clients to help solve those problems. And that 
has been absolutely revolutionary for us as, mm-hmm. as a company because all we're doing is taking data that's in these disparate systems in healthcare, right? Interoperability is the buzzword out there. Yep. And we're just structuring it in a way that allows a quick, fast, rapid, informed decision-making. And it's now digestible for our clients. So that administrator that is so busy trying to just manage their practice knows after five minutes, cup of coffee, they're going to know the pulse of the revenue cycle. And they're going to know whether, whether they need to make an intervention or not. Or if, if everything is good to go, move on with your day. Focus on all that other stuff. But if you do need to make an intervention, you're going to know exactly where you need to do it. And you're, and you're going to have the support of revenue cycle experts and Metabolf helping guide you. These are people who spent their careers doing large revenue cycle turnarounds. We've seen it all. And that's, that's all we've done. And so that's been really paramount. So while, while we started out in the business intelligence space with a little bit of a flop, it's actually turned into be the cornerstone of our business that's uh, on the analytics front. And we're, so. Yeah, and, and so you, it you wasn't know. painful though. <laughs> it was <laughs> no. painful for hey, it, a year and a half. I said board meetings explaining myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, listen, man. I think it's a great story to tell. And you thought, hey, you know, people are going to be able to leverage this intelligence. Bottom line, they're too busy, too much going on. And then you said, how can we simplify? How can we simplify yet offer the insights? And that's when the scorecard was born. And, you know, as you were telling me about the scorecard, we have conversations with both business folks like you, Matt, and also clinicians. And on the clinician side, they've got the early warning scores. Mm-hmm. And the early warning scores aggregate data from across different patient monitoring platforms and, and, and you know, just uh, you know, blood pressure, uh, you name the signal that, that comes in. And then it allows a clinician to take action early before it becomes problematic yep. and they start to decline. And so I, I, love, I love what you guys have done sort of just to mirror that early warning score to help people with, uh, with their business. Yeah, it, it really has. And I love your analogy there because, you know, whether you're monitoring hypertension, obesity, diabetes, whatever those CHF, whatever those things are, we have got all our wearables nowadays. All this data is streaming to the cloud. You can grab it through APIs, put AI and algorithms on top to say, hey, you know what? Mr. Seafeld's showing a little bit of a risk for a cardiac event. You know, let's get on the phone and let's let's call him. Uh, and a lot of the insurance companies do now are starting to reimburse for a lot of that uh, wellness-related mm-hmm. preventative care, which is nice to see. You know, we live on the financial triage side, right? I mean, you said it to begin. If you don't have margin, you don't have anything. And so I've got to make sure that the tools that I bring rapidly tell our clients that they're in a good situation. And if they're not in a good situation, it gives them a compass to tell them exactly where they needed to go to get out of that situation and and maximize what they can. So what's one of your proudest experiences to date with the company? I mean, it's not like a broken record, but what we've done over the last six months with with our AI-driven workflow and our analytics is is absolutely, it actually has brought me back to to why I left Deloitte in 06 and started Interpoint, which was really my my passion. And Mm -hmm. it's been exciting to see the company really transform around these concepts uh, because, you know, for 20 years, we're a legacy practice management company and a crowded space. And now we don't have to brand ourselves like that. When I go into outside sales and I, or I speak at conferences, I don't talk about rudimentary practice management anymore. I talk about workflow, AI-driven workflow, mm-hmm. machine learning, algorithms, speed to insight, cost reductions, right? things that you and I are talking about right now. And that is so much more exciting. And then towards the end, I said, and by the way, we have a practice management system, which at the end of the day is a data warehouse. That's how we look at it, right? It's, it's aggregating data, you know, from the point of scheduling to the point you, you get paid and, and, and reimbursed. It's what we're doing with that data now in the cloud. 
that's exciting. And that's been paramount, paramount for me personally. And, and I can speak for some of the other uh, executives and, and really Metaball as a whole. That's, that's what's getting us up in the morning. You know, we're excited and we're excited to see results. I mean, when you start to see clients that are comfortable being interviewed and putting out their names and their quotes and their results publicly, it, that's just exciting, right? I mean, anyone can go exciting. pay for a press release or write about themselves. But when you see a third party independent of us interviewing a client with results like, like John, John was able to do a neurosurgeon in New Jersey, it definitely feels like we're on the right path and we're going to just keep moving, moving along that path. That's awesome, man. Well, congratulations to you for the turnaround and, and the progress that's being made. And, and what about uh, an exciting project that you're really, really excited about right now? So right now, we are obviously Scorecard continues to be a driver of innovation, but our AI-driven workflow is really our focus. And what we're doing there is we started on the account receivable side. So, uh-huh. you know, what, what we've learned is about 80 to 85% of the claims that are outstanding with insurance companies don't actually need to be looked at today. Now, that doesn't mean something's not going to happen tomorrow, like a denial that means it needs to be looked at. But what we've learned is, is both for ourselves and our revenue cycle department and a lot of our clients is that they're overstaffed in the business office because they have too many people doing things that no intervention is required. Yeah. So by using artificial intelligence and bringing in lots of variables to see, does this claim actually have to be touched today or not? We have freed up resources and we were working smarter. Their clients are working smarter. They're able to, some folks are not necessarily reducing staff, they're repurposing their staff. And that's up to the client. Now we were able to reduce staff, which helped our business materially. But if you can repurpose folks to the front end of the revenue cycle, maybe focus more on financial clearance, getting authorizations in place, novel concept collecting from your patients prior to the service, right? Those will all help the the revenue cycle and they'll help improve margin. So that's exciting. And so what we're doing now on AR workflows, now we're working on our financial clearance workflow. So how do I make sure that before that patient shows up for their visit, their surgery, they are literally financially cleared, right? Now, a lot of groups out there say, oh, I have a process in place to do that. Do you? Then why do you have so many denials on the back end that tell me that those processes are not working? So we're, again, using technology to automate workflow to make sure that those patients are verified to have the correct insurance prior to service. They're verified to have the correct demographics so that if we do Mm -hmm. have to communicate with the patient after the service, we actually know their phone number and their correct current address to make sure that the patient uh, liability estimation is done. More importantly, to make sure that you collect that liability or at least get them financially sponsored before you deliver the service, Mm -hmm. right? And these are all critical components of clearing a patient in this day and age. I would love to walk into a Whole Foods or a Vons and, and just walk out with my food and say, hey, I'll pay you later. (laughs) <laughs> I promise I'll pay you later, right? I think after the 1800s, that was something they did. Like, you see those old oh, restaurant shows where they just kind of write down on a piece of paper that, hey, you know, next month I do need a deposit on all the food you've taken. That's too but funny. that does not work for us, at least not here in San Diego. I can't no. do that. I'd, I'd probably be arrested. <laughs> Well, in healthcare, though, Chicago doesn't work do. that way either. Chicago doesn't work that way. But that's what we're doing now. That's what, that's, that's, that's what this, this healthcare is. It's crazy. I mean, when I talk to clients, they're like, well, I don't really want to collect from the patient. I mean, I go to church with them on Sundays and, you know, my, their kids are on the baseball team. So I said, look, guys, I understand all that. But if you're out of business because you have no margin, what good are you to that community? Amen. And so, and so you have to find ways to do this prior to service. It's their responsibility. They know that. Now, yes, high deductible plans are painful, 
right? The change in the way of the, the landscape for all of us as consumers of healthcare are painful. But, you know, those things are starting to change, right? Price transparency is really picking up. You know, at some point down the road, it may be a mandate out there that you have to be transparent with what that cost is going to be. Quality measures, quality scores, right? Google feedback, social media, all these things are telling you how well consumers think of these providers. So those things are starting to help. But at the end of the day, the provider still needs to collect that money because half that dollar is coming from them now. Yeah. Right? It used to be mainly insurance money. Now, it's like a 50-50 split, or at least it's moving in that direction. And then doctors that are not financially clearing their patients prior to that service are going to be in bad shape. Well, a lot of them are already in bad shape, and it's only going to get worse. Yeah, the practices are changing, folks, and, and the way that we approach transactions need to change as well. Matt, you're, you're, you've got some great ideas, a great focus here, so I really appreciate the insights. It's time for the lightning round, so I got a couple questions for you, followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Sure. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? I think the, the best way to prove outcomes, honestly, uh, you know, we just kind of beat it up, is really making sure that, that you focus on the patient side of the liability. In the, in the short term, so much money is being written off the bad debt still. So much money is being written off the bad debt. So much money is still being sent to collections. It's not being collected up front. So many patients are actually coming back to the same providers that have already gone to bad debt historically. So these providers are not only not getting the money from the last visit, they're still not going to get the money for the next visit. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be a, a, a focus on a patient engagement, consumer engagement, consumer responsibility for the bills that they owe. That's a huge piece. The one other component I would say is making sure you're getting paid what you're owed based on your fee schedules with the insurance companies. So many times I see clients are like, I think I'm getting paid what I'm owed. Do you? How do you know? Like, use our analytics and our AR-driven workflows to make sure you're getting paid what you deserve to be paid. And, I, and you'd probably say, so the next question is, what's the biggest pitfall to avoid? And maybe it's not getting paid what you're owed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, I think my first thing I would say is, uh, actually, I would say stop throwing people at a problem. That, yeah. that is absolutely not the answer. Uh, we have proven it. Ask me if, if you want, reach out to me afterwards, and I'd be happy to tell you how we've made that mistake. But I also think, you know, yeah, I think, I think assuming that the consumer will pay for a service after you've rendered it, it's a false assumption. Mm -hmm. There's too many other bills on our desks out there. The healthcare bill, for some reason, always goes to the bottom because you've got to put food on the table, you've got to pay your electric bill, mortgage, rent. Healthcare always goes to the bottom. So at least get a portion of that money from the consumer before you deliver the service. It's your hard work. You need to get paid for it. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? I would say, I mean, for us, you have to continue to develop, innovate, and deliver solutions and services that get results, uh, and it reduce the cost to collect their money, our clients' money. You know, I had a, a CFO one time tell me, you know, I don't want to buy services and solutions. I just want results, man. Can you just get me results? And I was laughing. I said, well, that's what our technology and services are designed to do. He's like, great, but I want the results. And that's yeah. what they need, right? They need to have innovation coming to them that's, that's cost-effective innovation, but it's going to get an ROI and it's going to be focused on reducing that cost to collect. And, and margins are too thin, they're not going to improve. So that's how I think you stay relevant and you keep your doors open. Again, you close your doors, you hurt that community, especially these hospital systems that are out there. It hurts me every time I read on a Becker's every morning, so-and-so hospital in a smaller yeah. town just closed down. Now those people have to drive to a big city to get, get in line to be treated for, for a lot of times, non-acute stuff. And it's, it is frustrating. It's heartbreaking to see. What's an area of focus that drives everything in your company? 
I think for us, it's we really listen. I know this sounds cliche, uh, but we really do actually go out and spend time on our dime to really listen and understand our clients. The reason we hire a lot of revenue cycle experts who's dedicated their careers to revenue cycle management is so that they understand the problems our clients face every single day. And then what we do is we make sure as a company that we're delivering cutting edge technology and, and, and value added services to meet those needs of those clients. And that has really been our focus. You know, we don't build anything in here in a vacuum. We just don't. I mean, too, there's too much vaporware in this, this, this industry. People jump on a niche and they go build, you know, raise a bunch of money and then they go build out these technologies and then they wonder why nobody buys them or they wonder why, you know, they're out of business two years later. Yeah. We're not doing that. You know, we're, we're listening to our clients and, and that's, that's so many technology services companies out there actually fail to do that. You know, they, they just make assumptions that they're right and they know what the market needs. You can't do that in healthcare. There's too many variables going on. We have to stay relevant with our, our, our clients. I'll give you an amen to that one, Matt. Um, and so uh, these next two are more on a personal note for the listeners to get to know you better. What is your number one health habit? You know, my health, I've, I've been an athlete all my life, all through college. Um, you know, and I've really, you know, despite traveling hundreds of thousands of miles a year, and living in hotel rooms and eating club sandwiches at times, not always, <laughs> uh, at, at 11 o'clock at night, <laughs> or, you know, I really, really try, I, I've actually tried to at least do my cardio. Um, I've been big on swimming the last couple of years, uh, nice. you know, shoulder problems, back problems. It's really been meditative for me. And how, you know, how, being on the West how many coast, times a week do you do it? I try to swim five, five times a week. I swim nice. about eight to 10,000 yards a week is, is my goal. Awesome, um, being on the West coast, you know, I got the ocean here. I surf a lot. So swimming kind of is, is a nice counterpart there. I've also got two young boys. I got a four-year-old oh, nice. and an eight-year-old, and I cool. coach their sports teams. And I can tell you right now, I got to stay relevant with with athletics. Otherwise, I'm going to be in bad shape because awesome. you know those kids are just running me into the ground. So <laughs> it's been fun. That's great, Matt. And uh, and what's your number one success habit? You know, we talked about it before. I get up very early. You know, I had a friend and told me in college that you know, actually was a professor who told her and said, if if you're not a morning person, become one. And that's really been something that's been important to me is, is I, I, I get up early. I, I kind of find there's a, that hour be- between when the, the night animals have just gone to sleep and the morning animals are just waking up <laughs> where there's some peace there and you can meditate a bit and you get set for your day. And, and it's been nice, you know, and it allows me to kind of free up sometimes in the, in the later in the afternoon to spend time with family. And that's important to work-life balance. Yeah, I love that, Matt. And, and, you know, we talked before the show and I definitely I'm right there with you. And, you know, when you said morning animals and night animals, I first thought of like people, but I think you actually meant animals, animals. <laughs> it could be. <laughs> yeah, in healthcare, you never know, right? I mean, there's, there's, there's all kinds yeah, of those funny. insurance companies, maybe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, man. I love that. Uh, thanks for sharing, Matt. And, and what book would you recommend to the listeners? Yeah, the book that I, that I've really been my Bible since I started my own business back in 07 is Built to Last. You know, I think if you haven't read it, read it. You know, it's one of those books that really allows folks to understand that innovation has to happen if you're going to stay relevant as a business. You know, and you look at these businesses out there, like look at Blockbuster versus the Netflix, right? Oh my gosh. You know, back in early 2000s, Netflix is sitting there and they're uh, sending us DVD runs, right, in the mail, which at the time was great. We all had DVD players, but I don't think, I don't even know if I own a DVD player anymore. Yeah. I think I do, but I'd have to go ask my wife if we could <laughs> dust one off, right? So now everything's streaming, then it's download speeds. Look at companies like Kodak, right? And so, you know, it's, I think it's just one of those things where if you want to stay relevant 
as a company in this industry or in any industry, but especially in healthcare, you have to evolve and you have to adapt. If we, if we were having this conversation and I was talking to you about this practice management systems, I would be in very bad shape. I'm not talking about practice management systems. That, right. That's just the bottom of the, you know, that, that's our data warehouse. I'm talking to you about AI driven workflow automation. I'm talking about analytics, transparency, and I'm talking to you about all of those things that make will make us successful. And, you know, those are those are things that are going to literally be the, the, the test of time for us. And that's what we try to do. Every quarter we look at ourselves and we say, are we are we actually innovating? Are we actually staying up with where the market's telling us because we listen to our clients or are we not? And if we're not, we make quick adjustments, quick audibles. Love that, Matt. And that's so Jim Collins, that. right? So go get it. That's right. Jim Collins. Yeah. I think your audio book, everyone's I've in their cars it. all the time. I've heard about California. it. Yeah, yeah, okay. but, I, yeah. but I've, I've read good to great, but I haven't gotten to built to last. But in the context of our conversation and, you know, with the story about your company and the context of healthcare and the, and the really transformation that it's going through, I think now's the time to read it. So folks, if you haven't read Built to Last, join me. I'll be picking it up here soon. And uh, it'll, it'll definitely be going next on the list of, of reads that I'm going to make. So Matt, appreciate that recommendation. And folks, go to outcomesrocket.health and get the, the resources that we've talked about today in the search bar, type in MedEvolve, it's M-E-D, Evolve, and you'll be able to find our entire show notes uh, with uh, ways to get in touch with Matt, take a look at his website, as well as all the recommendations that he made on today's podcast. So Matt, uh, true pleasure. I'd love if you could just leave us with the closing thought and the best place where the listeners could continue the conversation after. Absolutely. No, first of all, I do appreciate the time. This was fun and, and, and it's, it's refreshing to have someone like you out there really promoting these podcasts and, and educating you know, this market that needs to be educated because we're all in this fight together. You know, I, I'll leave it with something maybe a little confrontational is that, you know, the cost problem of healthcare is not going to be solved anytime soon. Okay. And right. I kind of started the show out with that, that assertion out there. And so what we have to batten down the hatches, I guess, to use a, a sailing analogy, and we have to weather this storm. And the only way we're going to do that is through finding ways to improve margin through not throwing people at problems, but looking at innovative uh, workflow automation, innovative analytics, innovative scorecards, right? Like ways to understand where our revenue leakage is. And so if we're waiting on the drug companies to change their ways and the med device companies to change their ways, and we're waiting on ways for the, you know, the insurance companies to pay you more than you're getting paid today, you're going to be waiting a long time. And you probably don't have the time, unfortunately, to weather that storm. So let's do what we know we can do today. Use technology, find services partners and technology partners that understand your business, that have expertise in your business and listen to you. And that would probably be the the one takeaway out there. In terms of getting a hold of me, you know, I mean, we're all social media giants now, right? Everybody has everything, but I'm on LinkedIn, Matt Seafeld. Look me up if you want. I'd love to connect with you all. My email is just matt.seafeld at metavolve.com. No one spells my last name correctly. So it's S-E-E-F-E-L-D. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, they always like to put an I in there for some reason or start it with a C. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to talk. I mean, I, I do, as you can tell, I'm energetic about these topics. Um, I love talking with, with prospects, with friends, family, anybody that, that is having to, to live in this healthcare arena that we're in because we're all impacted as consumers, right? That's why I love healthcare. That's why I never left healthcare. Yep. I started in healthcare because I wanted to go deep in one vertical and become an expert in that vertical and understand how to do all that process innovation, process change, consulting stuff. That's why I started with StockCamp and I didn't go with a, a much more broad-based 
you know, a consulting firm out there and it's paid off. I love it. I, I would never change anything about my, my career. I love the revenue cycle and I love what we're doing with analytics and workflow automation now. Well, Matt, you definitely shared a lot of valuable insights with us today and folks call to action, check out the show notes, reach out to Matt, make a difference because healthcare is definitely not a spectator sport. So Matt, big thanks to you and uh, looking forward to staying in touch. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.